Welcome to a special edition of Pardon the Confusion. This is Paul Arnold, joined by Ernest Watts, and our special guest today is my son David Arnold, uh, original podcaster from the good old days of Sporto and all things Michigan football. And considering how much Michigan football has been in the news the last three weeks, we thought it's a good time for the North to meet the South, the good guys to meet the... No, not the good guys to meet the bad guys, but Ernest Watts is here as well to present a nationwide view of uh, what's been going on in the Big Ten. If you've been living under a rock, you haven't seen that Michigan has been accused and investigated, started on call, stealing signs at games, and due to a lot of pushback and a lot of uh, bold talk, there's a big hubbub going on up here of what's fair and what's not fair. I am not um, subjective with this at all. I'm a Michigan fan, so... My son David is an attorney. So David, let's start with you. Is this, this all is about wheelhouse? Is this all this, about this nothing? Is... And what do you think? Yes. Well, so I have a few different angles to look at it from. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Moral of the story is this is a nothing burger, um, as someone used to say quite frequently. Um, there's not a lot going on here, man. I mean, we we've taken a look at it, and from our Michigan tinted glasses. Um, have always thought that there is nothing. But mainly, the thing is, this is about advanced scouting in college football. And advanced scouting, if you look at, at it through this lens, is acceptable in every form of sport. In every sport, every level, you know, you have people analyze tape, go to see other people in person, and see what the other team is doing, and try to figure out their plays, their designs, their signs, Sign stealing is legal, right? So advanced scouting has always been legal. Now, that includes sometimes other teams can can send signs, uh, can send their intel over, over to you know their rival, uh, to teams who are playing their rivals, and et cetera, et cetera. But in 1994, the NCAA decided that you could not film in person. Uh, for advanced scouting purposes because of the cost. You can't have every single team from Bowling Green to Michigan um, pay for advanced scouts. So they banned it. Um, And this was before the day when video coordinators could just easily take film, record a game, put it in a Dropbox, and send it off to other teams to quickly and easily analyze film. You know, before the internet, even, 1994. Um, And as time has passed, video coordinators for every team in the NCAA have a pact with one another where they film the games, create scout film for their coaches to review tape, and then also the video coordinators who are part of the football teams send that same exact tape to future opponents. Future opponents receive that film, you know, within 30 seconds, five minutes. They get that film and they can then disperse it to their coaches to analyze themselves. So advanced scouting happens all the time. It's a regular commonplace thing that is not illegal, not frowned upon in any sense of the word. 1994, this rule was created um, to prevent in-person scouting. Um, And since then, you know, we've had the adoption of the iPhone. We have the Internet. Um, And basically, it's a redundant rule that was proposed to be removed from the NCAA rulebook two years ago by the Rules and Infractions Committee because of how arbitrary it is, uh, how commonplace it is for every single person in a stadium to have an iPhone. Um, 
So, anyways, Ohio State got some dirt, found this dirt out, turned in Michigan, and everyone is in an uproar. There's no point. This is a secondary infraction for a rule that has been proposed to be removed, and people just like it because it gets Michigan a lot of clicks. It gets a lot of clicks to their website. Uh, Michigan is big business for everyone. No reason it should be around. Dad, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to pass it over to Ernest because uh, I like what he's you're saying. He's the outsider. Yeah. He's the outsider. The outsider. He sees point it of view. from a different perspective. This is funny. It really is. It's First of all, the guy's name, Connor Stallion. I mean, you couldn't make up a name. I mean, that's just, it's like a word-generated name, ex-military. This sounds like a bad book. It really does. I mean, this is. Again, sign stealing's been going on, on, on. Davis talking about what's called the All Twenty Two, which is film shot from the end zones, high resolution view, so you see offenses and defenses from the back, and you combine that with any television tape, and it's easy to pick up the signals. I mean, it's the coaches hire assistant coaches from other schools to get this information. You know, it, sign stealing is as old as all creation. And again, this is archaic. If you wanted to solve this problem, since you're paying coaches $10 million a year, put mics in the helmet, put comms in the quarterback's helmets there. It's resolved. You don't have to put those stupid signs with pictures of, I don't know, Belichick and other people it's, it's, or big bird and all those types of things you see on the sideline. Just, just put a mic in the quarterback's helmet, just spend the money. It's 2023. It's not 1995. Quit sending signals. Do it that way. It's an easy way to resolve that. And if you're worried about uh, uh, FCS uh, schools not having enough money for it, no one's stealing their signals anymore. No one cares. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's too level. I mean, that's it. Put the mics in. Solve the problem. They're this gonna is steal almost, signals. They're going to steal is, signals. This is almost something out of, like, the deep SEC. This feels very much like an Alabama-Auburn type thing or something you might find out of Texas with a level of pettiness um, and infractions accusing. But the thing is, the SEC, they all all know that one another cheats, and they don't tell on each other. The rest of the the Big Ten could not get their hands wrapped around Michigan's ascendance for the last three years. So rather than saying recruiting or that Harbaugh's fine, got the coaching staff he needs, it's they're cheating. You know, and again, yeah, everybody cheats. This has been going on. Everybody cheats. And to find this, this super arbitrary rule that's a secondary infraction, I mean, Ohio State self-reports. They're infamous for report, self-reporting 200, 300 secondary infractions every single year to kind of stay out of the NCAA's eyesight saying, hey, we do this, we do this, we do this. Don't punish us because we've got it under control. We found it and we told you about it. Is, um, is there anything more toothless than the NCAA? You, well, could, you got a report of a New Mexico State basketball team where the players are sexually molesting, the upperclassmen are sexually molesting the lowerclassmen with guns in the shower. And no one bats an eye. You got a Baylor situation where guys covered for a drug murder. I mean, again, the NCAA's truth. They find Kansas' coach Bill Self red-handed with sanctions 
what do they do? They turn around and give him the highest contract of all, and, and he's paid if he is caught with probations. So this is a toothless thing. There's, there's, you know, it's like Casablanca when, uh, when the major comes up and getting after Rick about uh, there's gambling going on, and the guy on the side says, here's your winnings. It's, it's a toothless is, group. It's, this, it's, is, this is being tried through the media. The, the amount of pettiness here is, you know, they realize the powers at play, Ohio State and whoever, their minions, decided that, realized that the NCAA wasn't going to do anything. They haven't even launched an official investigation yet, let alone given, you know, a notice of allegations to the University of Michigan, at which point the university would have 90 days to respond. So this would be dragged out at least three, four, five months at the quickest, right? So then... They decide to, to cause this uproar. There's the mob mentality. And they're calling on the Big Ten commissioner to suspend Harbaugh slash try to get him fired. If you notice the way that this, is, this story has been worked down lower and lower and lower in level in terms of importance and, and magnitude here. Right when it was first reported, it was like, oh, Harbaugh has to be fired. He has to be fired. There's no other way. He's going to go to the NFL. And then the more that things have come out, you find out that Ohio State and Rutgers were colluding with Purdue before the Big Ten championship game, giving Purdue Michigan signs. Like, oh, Harbaugh still deserves a suspension, right? And now it's kind of like, well, he may be suspended. As of the time of this recording, it's unsure what the punishment is going to be. But the Big Ten commissioner now has this choice because he can suspend Harbaugh even before the NCAA conducts an investigation. And it's like, uh... Mob mentality, man. You can't you can't do this without at least letting some due process come out. There's uh, a reason why the Purdue coach was the only coach who put his name to the complaint because the other group had been doing it themselves, and they knew if they stood out, you know, that's griping to their ads and let their ads gripe to the commissioner, and they knew if they came forward, they would find stuff about them. And it, again, it's going on. Big surprise. You know, you create this billion-dollar industry, and you wonder why people cheat to win. There was a time when college football's coaches' responsibility was to build the character of young men to go out into the community and be a reflection of the college. Now it's money. And when you're putting billions of dollars, yes, people are going to cut corners. Our whole business system is based on people cutting corners to make profits. Why are we surprised that colleges are doing that? Okay, Sorry, my question to you guys. Rant. My question is that why did Michigan stay silent so long while the rest of those teams, the Big Ten, controlled the narrative? Well, every attorney I've dealt with, and David can address this better than I can, is when you're accused of something, the lawyer always tells you to shut up. Don't give them fodder. Don't give anything accidentally. Don't don't. Isn't that pretty much what lawyers tell their clientele, David? Never talk, man. Never talk. Um, you know, there's a common phrase. We're recording this on Friday. Um, you, know, fr- you know, you've got Taco Tuesdays when... Which is a the, court system, which isn't a lawsuit right now, but go yeah, ahead. Well, yeah, when you're in a copyright lawsuit. Yeah, when you're in the uh, trademark um, food industry, the, the lawyers like to say on Fridays, it's shut the uh, yeah. F up Friday. That is a common term. That's what you just shut. You just shut up. Keep your lips sealed. That's that's what you gotta do. But this is the the issue 
Michigan stayed quiet for so long because they were being investigated and they were supposed to. But in the world of the 21st century in 2023 with the media and the news cycle, if you're not speaking out in some kind of way, you're losing the PR battle. And it was a total failure for the first week for Michigan to just stay silent. Because the quieter you stay, the, the guiltier you look, right? That's just the core of common, you know, the core of public opinion. Um, so it's important for Michigan, who has this vast network of journalists and basically PR people, the Rich Eisens of the world, um, who they should have been leaking information out to, to try and get the counter narrative going against this coordinated PR attack. Uh, it was a total failure by Michigan. And you've seen, like I was alluding to earlier, the the de-escalation of willingness to try and throw Jim Harbaugh under the bus over the last week. Because Michigan's turned around and said, hey, look, other teams are doing this. They're doing the same thing, but just in a different format. Um, this isn't that bad. And that's what they should have been doing all along. Was that frustrating, Dad? Uh, what did you see as the key part in, in Michigan turning the narrative around? Yeah, it was like the whole... PR thing of politics the last four years where whoever can just keep on saying things long enough, people will start believing it. And as long as Michigan didn't say anything, I know it's wise legal counsel. It just it appeared like Michigan wasn't backing up Harbaugh and they were waiting to see. And as a Michigan fan, I was really glad to see that the president and the regents say, wait a second. Yes, we waited on NCAA, but they're not going to do anything and we're just getting beat up in the media. And as the letters, first the president released a letter and said, hey, we're due process like any other Big Ten team. So he's doing the equity argument, like, hey, yeah, we're Michigan, but we're, everybody else would cry murder if you did the same thing to them. And second, you know, he got behind Harbaugh and said, these you know, decisions you're making affects people's lives and careers and affects our kids. I think Ohio State knew they were losing the recruiting battle two years in a row. Day is, is desperate to win and disrupt the Michigan train. And this he figured this was the best time to do it right before some of the biggest games of the year for Michigan and to do whatever we can to win. And that's always been done in the SEC in different ways, but I think Day's desperation just shows out. And then the legal document that was released yesterday, the 10-pager, that was really common in some of the blogs for Michigan fans was an absolute just tear down of anything that the Big Ten thought they were about to do. And I'm sure, David, you've read it. And um, so I think, the, yes, I think this guy did these stupid things. I don't think Harbaugh knew about it. Is it a big deal? It's, it should have been just a level two and move on. But, you know, opportunistic Ohio State went after it. And I used to thought, I first thought, am I being paranoid thinking, it's Ohio State, they're so bad, they're doing this. And now they have some proof, yes, it is Ohio State. And this also adds to why this is the greatest uh, rivalry in sports is because it's that nasty when you get down to it. Don't you think that Michigan's response is reflective of the previous controversy about buying the, the buying meal for the recruit in which he did not truthfully answer and got more abuse for his response rather than the actual violation? Don't you think that kind of tainted his response this time, that he was told well, not to say every, anything? Yeah, you know, I think Harbaugh is definitely more 
willing to comply this time around. It's not like anything has actually happened yet. You know, it's important. There's been no NCAA investigation started. Um, but as we always know, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Yes. That's, that's always been a concern. You know who outside the Big Ten is happiest about this? Georgia. Yeah, I would say the take, SEC. Takes, you know, well, Georgia, because no one's talking about all the DUIs all their players have had. <laughs> I mean, it led to a player and a, uh, uh, a volunteer, a student volunteer dying. And that's kind of been swept under the bus because more people have been worried about it. I mean, there's so many things going on. Again, the NCAA is so toothless. This is just, in five months, this will be forgotten. I really, truly believe. It'll, there's something else. ESPN and Fox all want something. And if you've got a controversy with the top 10 team, they're going to ride it, ride it, ride it until something else comes. So like, yeah, a I was, I was, like a dog was chasing saying, a car. The happiest people are definitely the media execs because, uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, maybe Alabama are, are definitely the three biggest draws when it comes to TV audiences and clicks. And this is juicy. This is like as juicy as it gets because it is pure disdain from Ohio State to – to rat on Michigan like this um, and try and frame it in such a huge disproportionate way. This has been doing numbers, I'm sure, for the media outlets. I'm sure, without a doubt. Those are the happiest guys in the room. It's not like they're banging a uh, trash can with a baseball bat every time Ohio State runs a certain play. Sorry, Astros. Yeah, Had to yeah. yeah. Exa- some people comparing it to the Astros oh, no, game no. are just so out of just so out in left field. No idea. Yeah, it, no. It, it will be forgotten. I mean, we, we uh, and, and, you know, Paul, I think in the last five years, you're correct. People are more concerned about how it appears in the court of public opinion rather than the actual legal courts. And I think that's more perception than fact. I mean, I don't, I'm outside the Big Ten, and I don't hear the disdain from Michigan that, 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 or the reputation. I mean, reputation in college sports. Come on, give me a break. That's like that's like reputation for a lady of the night. Uh, there is no <laughs> reputation. I mean, it's just, it is a dirty, dirty. Un, I mean, all of college sports is is dirty, and it's about money. All right, Again, you guys. Let me ask your opinion. How is it going to play out for the rest of the year? Will who will be in the playoffs? The top four, Ernest. If you be, oh yeah. Yeah, and again, Big Ten's not going to do anything because they can get two teams in the Big Four. Right, they're going to postpone it. I think that's what... Oh, the, of course, it's money. Again, yeah. as you've heard me say so many times on this podcast, Filthy lucre. I don't care what your question is, but the answer is usually money. So no, they're not, there's no right or wrong, it's money. And every and now, with that's why conferences are adding teams willy-nilly from all over the area. So the ratings you know, from Michigan, Ohio State, how high would those be? This is going to be the most watched college football regular season game of all time. But Fox will ever. really play this angle to to get the. I mean, they should play it at night. They really should. I mean, twelve mm-hmm. o'clock is, is not going to be your best ratings. Hey, the, the colder, the better. The colder, the better. Saturday night game, it would be number one in the rankings of of everything for that week, and probably be top ten for viewing uh, for the entire year. It would be the equivalent of a college football. We have higher viewing than the college football championship. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. This is this is like, oh, I, I'm excited. This was going to be the first year, Dad, since since we moved to Ann Arbor. Um, that I didn't feel that nervous about the game, the game. You know, winning two in a row, feeling good, feeling great about our team, feeling great about our program. But now the stakes are just so high. Not worried about just, Penn State now this week. Yeah, they've got to escape. Happy Valley. At least that's not a night game. Yeah. Thank goodness. And, and they have no offense. Uh, well, the problem Penn State. We can talk about Michigan Penn State for a minute because I, uh, Michigan has basically played eight preseason games so far this season, nine preseason games. Um, really, Rutgers, I think, would be the hardest test so far. Um, no, don't not play Rutgers. They had Ohio State no. at halftime. They have a top 25 defense. They're probably a top 25 team, honestly. So they're they're a solid team. That's really been Michigan's only, you know, real threat this entire season. I am excited. The defense is legit for Michigan. I mean, so, so legit. But I am concerned about the offensive line. I think they might be a little overrated based on the reputation that the last two years, the program for the last two years has had. Um, and I think going up against a real defense will be a challenge because J.J. McCarthy is going to have to win the game himself, uh, you know, as a pass-first offense. And that's something Michigan hasn't really ever tried to do under Jim Harbaugh. The Penn um, State like, has no offense. I mean, they can't throw deep. Uh, the running backs are mediocre at best. They have great defense. They've got their linebacker there they have is going to be a top-10 pick in the NFL draft. But – their offense is just boring to watch. It just, just, they run on first down, they run on second down, they throw to the tight end on third down. That's their offense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, James Franklin versus any coach in a big game, more often than not, I'm picking the other coach. Top 10 overrated coaches in college football. Oh, yeah. James. Oh, well, oh, he is. He is like the Mendoza line for great coaches, I feel he, like. His reputation was that he had a winning team at Vanderbilt. That was it. And, and well, He is clean. He, he is clean. No, no recruiting problems whatsoever. But I think he, he's totally overrated. He's uh, clean. His teams will always go 9-3, and three, and they're always going to lose their biggest games. They're always going to play the Citrus Bowl. Yep, he is that, and that's not a bad baseline as a program. That's yeah, the Lloyd Carr effect. Towards the end of Lloyd Carr's run, that's what it felt like. You know, they can never break through that top eight thing. But you know, every every five years, you'll get a Rose Bowl appearance under James Franklin because the records will break the correct way. You'll probably get into the playoffs. Want to come up with the other the four overrated top five? Chip Kelly. Ooh, ooh. I would let the UCLA project play out to start. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. He's he's a lot of pompous circumstances. I know he went to a college football championship, but I think Chip Kelly is is overrated now. Yeah, I guess he is on year six at UCLA, which is kind of blowing my mind. Um, Honestly, I think most of the overrated football coaches in college football have been kind of exposed over the last few years. Uh, Number one has to be. Oh, Mr. Oklahoma slash USC Heisman quarterback, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, Lincoln he's, Riley has he's, to be. 
Yeah, he just doesn't believe in defense whatsoever. Lincoln Riley. Okay, that gives us two more. I think uh, P.J. Fleck is another one. I haven't. I mean, he's just a mediocre coach. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, he's media friendly and people love him. But I think P.J. is is an overrated coach. Well, I'll tell you, Ernest. He's he's worn me the wrong way, rubbed me the wrong way for a long time now. So he was the only football coach to ever block me on Twitter. Block me on Twitter. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. They know it's personal. Yeah. Okay, we, got, we got one more to go in uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Oh, no. I, a, a sober Steve Sarkeesian is, I think, a great <laughs> football coach. I don't I don't mean to take a shot at him. He but he always went through, loses he went some, that game at Texas that he should win. He went through some personal issues for a long time. And since he's been in Texas, I think they're building the right way. I, yeah, yeah, by keeping Arch Manning on the bench. Now, underrated coaches. Who who do you think Michigan State should hire? That wow. that's not named Urban Meyer. I can't even believe that's being floated. The MSU has been talk about Michigan scandals. Michigan State has been the home of scandals for a decade now. There's no way they would hire someone like Urban Meyer, ever, ever. Okay. So who, who would be the I coach go young. I go to young, but I wouldn't make the same mistake they made last year. A young coach. Uh, I do like your old buddy up at Wake Forest. I like Dave Dorn at NC State. Uh, those are those are good candidates. Uh, those are the two young guys that really leap in my mind. I yeah, so like, I think I like Oregon State's coach too. Yeah, but I don't think you Thank can you. get a West Coast guy, right? Consider he's going to be playing in a two-team conference next year. Yeah, well, he might look for the job. Uh, yeah, I think they're kind of locked in over there. I, I'll tell you, I think Dave Clawson would be obviously a guy. I'm going to have to like Michigan State if that happens. That's who I would go after. Number one. Uh, I guess Lance Leopold would be the number one guy at Kansas, but it sounds like he's already turned Michigan State down um, just because he's a program builder in the most extreme ways. At, at UW-Whitewater, won national titles there, and then went to Buffalo and built a MAC, you know, pretty I'd like I'd like the James Madison team. coach. He used to be at Coastal Carolina. So oh, first the, year at JMU, and they're undefeated. And the CEO. Yeah, yeah, I like. No, 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 no. This is a young guy. This is not oh. the guy. Uh, this is not a guy with, with who was in uh, Wall Street. Now, this is a very young guy, and his name is escaping me. But uh, he did a great job at Coastal. He's doing a good job. Oh, you're, he's at Liberty. He's at Liberty. Yeah, him Liberty. Yes. or the guy at JM. Uh, the guy at James Madison is fairly young too. Yes, I, I'll tell but, you. I think you know under. The guys of Michigan State, tough defense, maybe trying to get back to the D'Antonio role. Um, Mike Elko at Duke, I think, is garnering a lot of attention. He's way younger than he looks. He's only in his yeah. young 40s. You know, he was the defense coordinator under Clawson at Bowling Green when I was there. Uh, he, he was, was at Texas A&M. He was their defensive coordinator. And he, he has had top 10 defenses everywhere he's been, including Bowling Green. Um you know, he was 32 years old when he got hired on as a defense coordinator uh, yeah, by Clawson. He's a young guy. Um, he he has turned Duke into a really solid team and I think could draw a lot of similarities to the way Michigan State wants to build their program moving forward if they're trying to 
replicate the D'Antonio days. All right, guys, let's move on from the NCAA because, hey, NBA is back, and that's starting to get a little bit of attention. And one of the big questions is how things are different this year than last year. And you guys are my NBA experts, and the one big question is, what the heck is an NBA tournament, and is that going to help matters? It's a cash drive. Drive. It's a, it's a, here's the deal. NBA contracts come up for renewal with the networks next year. So by introducing this in-season tournament, which was played on thir- Tuesdays and Fridays with new fancy courts and new fancy uniforms, they get to a Final Four after a single elimination tournament, and they play the last four games in Vegas. But here's the deal. You know the UEFA tournament, soccer, which is sold as a separate entity to CBS Sports and is shown on Paramount. So the NBA is looking for another source of income. So they figure this NBA tournament would be separate from their regular season contracts they currently have with ESPN, ESPN, ABC, and with TBS and TNT. So they want to set a new revenue stream, and that's what they're trying to do. They're also talking about introducing international teams to it eventually. Uh, I love Bones Highland, who's point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers. They asked him about his feelings about the tournament. He said, what tournament? He said, haven't you noticed this? He said, I see these, these games on my schedule that have like <laughs> a, little, a little thing to it, but I didn't know it was anything special. The, the players don't. It's just games. All the games except the last four count on the regular season tournament. So they're played at home. They're regular season games. The only difference is the court. This is a way to get more money. They're going to break the bank with the next TV contract because NBC is interested. Apple TV is interested. Uh, Amazon is interested in getting a piece of the bucket. Amazon wants to do pretty much what ESPN does with hockey is show their games, every game, instead of NBA League Pass. So it's, it's revenue. This is it. And at the end of the year, you're not going to know who won the tournament, who the final four teams are. You don't know who the MVP is. It's, again, it's something that even young people who are used to this in soccer have no knowledge of it whatsoever. This is on TV and see the funny looking courts. Yeah, this is proof of concept year, right? Year one, this is all proof of concept. No one really knows, is caring about it. It's really going to come down to how big they can make the championship game of this tournament be, right? Or even the final four. How, how big of a crowd can they bring and can they make the courts look half decent? That's my one complaint about this. It's whatever, a cute idea, proof of concept. It's going to get the media rights going. You're right about that. Increase revenue. The big thing for me is those courts are just atrocious, Ernest. I can't even <laughs> look at them. Like, they're blinded. I wish they would at least just fade them back a little bit. Just You can make the court blue or red, but just fade it a little bit so it's not. It's a little bit more transparent and not just bold in your face. I hurt my eyes to look at the Chicago floor. The Chicago floor is blinding. Um, what would you think of those court designs? They're a treasure. You remember this? What this, this? I'll tell you. This reminds me of. Remember a few years ago when the Sacramento Kings won the Las Vegas uh, tournament, the yes. uh, 
and the, and the owner uh, bought them all championship rings and a trophy. <laughs> this is just a step up from that, okay? I mean, it's 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 a cash grab. I I uh, again, the commissioner, uh, I, I I applaud him of uh, trying to make more money. I watched him last night. They played their annual Mexico City game with Atlanta and Orlando. And again, he, he said, my job is to expand basketball internationally. Mm-hmm. And again, they're going to have international teams in this. It's it's going to be that. But it's just, again, they're setting it up. And it's a, it's a, a very, it, the trophy itself is like something you would, create in a child's kindergarten room it's it's nothing outstanding but i love that's half a basketball when i see that's like half, half yeah. a basketball it's like the halfway point of the season that's great um, by next year it'll be the kia tournament and the kia championship or they're looking for some media source to slap their name on it that's i i wouldn't be inviting european teams over too soon because uh, I'm not sure if the European teams couldn't beat the NBA teams at this moment in time uh, with the way European basketball. But that's to work out something with the rules because you have no goaltending in FIBA basketball. You have a, a, a trapezoid lane. Um, I would love to see FIBA rules come into the NBA. It will, it will never happen because of entertainment purposes. But FIBA basketball is much more entertaining I much physically, physically, it I feels mean, more competitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, good cash drag. That's all it is. I don't well, know what the question is, but money is the answer. So, Ernest, in in the video game NBA 2K, you can change the draft pick lottery selection in between mm-hmm. seasons, and one of the options is to have a tournament for the number one pick. Where, where you can have the teams play, the, the bottom lottery teams play against each other in a knockout tournament for the number one pick. Um, I would be, love to see. Yeah, that's where I was. I'd like the, the four teams playing for the two playoff slots. I yeah. had some questions about that when they first started, but I think that's, that's turned out fairly well. And I think you get teams that are hot that come into it. And it, I think that served a purpose. A knockout tournament. The only problem would be, David, I would have with teams that have traded the draft picks that don't care. So they would tank. And then you'd have playoff teams have to be represented somehow in a tournament like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no logistical way because you're not going to have pending free agents want to play in that game uh, or in that tournament. But it's an interesting concept. You don't want want a guy playing for someone who's going to replace him. I mean, last year, any center would come out there to uh, keep Wendyama from from taking his job. Yeah, I'm gonna play hard so Wendyama can take my job, and I'll be cut by the team. Hmm. He, yeah, go ahead. You, you guys, what's, what's your feelings about Wendyama since you've seen him? We, he's played nine games now. He just looks. He's just professional. I just cannot believe the maturity from him as a player. You can tell. His two, I think it was two seasons, um, you know, playing for the professional team in France has just paid off dividends. I think it would be if you want to if you want to get better as a basketball player and you're like a five star high school recruit, you go play in Europe for two seasons and learn what it's like to play professional basketball, to be a professional. Uh, I think that would be much more productive than playing college basketball at this point. Or play for the 
play for the Ignite team. In the, yes. Yeah. All right, yes. guys. I hate to say it, but we're going to start wrapping this podcast up. Um, so I think just a quick comment about the NBA. I totally get it. Them trying to borrow a, a playbook from the soccer leagues over in Europe. The one thing the soccer leagues do in Europe is they get it interesting even for the last, the worst teams. Like they might get out, you know, voted off the island if they have a bad enough record. And somehow NBA's got to address that the bottom dwellers and their fans just feel like they're getting always left behind. So there's got to be some incentive for the bottom-dwelling teams to get paid off or to get an extra draft pick if they uh, do well in a tournament, something like that. But moving on, we usually end the podcast with either uh, Ernest talking about dead sports heroes (laughs) or cultural reviews. And so, Ernest, do you have some movie reviews for us today? Yes, Uh the Killer, which is on Netflix with uh, Michael Fassbender, uh, is a very well done movie, very evocative of uh, Charles Bronson. Mr. Magneto, if you don't know. Yes, yes. Uh, he does a great job. It's a hitman who makes a mistake and he leads the narrative. It's a very good movie. Another good movie on Netflix is Reptile with Benicio del Toro, one of my favorite actors. It is a crime drama that. Uh, it takes a well-loved, known uh, public figure and makes him the bad guy. It plays him against type, so you don't think he's the bad guy. I enjoy that. Five Nights at Freddy, which is on NBC Peacock, is another movie that uh, it's uh, based on a video game. I played with my grandson. It's based on um, you know uh, real scary kind of shock types of things. It's okay. There was a film by Nicolas Cage called Willy's Wonderland, which handled a lot better. It's the idea of a a, uh, a haunted pizza restaurant with, with puppets. Kind of like, uh, what was the Chuck name e. of the one? Chuck E. Cheese, Haunted by the Robots. And finally, A, a Haunting in Venice, which is the third of uh, the Hercule Poirot movies. Uh, which I know Paul has enjoyed the first two very much. Uh, it fits Hercule Poirot when he is retired and is doubting himself. Uh, a lot of famous individuals in it. It's pretty easy to figure out who the killer is, but it's the atmosphere and the idea of the supernatural is involved. It's a tight little 90 minutes. It's enjoyable. Uh, I, again, I, I enjoy those types of movies themselves. I highly recommend it. I'm not going to see the Marvels. You ready for the spoiler of the Marvels? Thor. All right, here we go. The credit scene at the end is one of the figures is sent into another reality, and she wakes up, and there is Beast attending to her. Fraser Crane himself, fulfilling a role that he did 20 years ago, and he talks to her that he's going to take her to the doctor, to the to the um, to. Um, Again, it's introducing the X Men into the yeah uh, Professor X. It's introducing the X Men, which they did with the last Doctor Strange movie, into the uh, MCU as we say properly. Wow! Next next movie I'm looking for is Napoleon. Yeah, the I'm actual. Not, I'll take a hard not, pass not, on that one. Oh come on, it's history. You enjoy. <laughs> and David, for the younger crowd, what is your favorite video game right now? Me and the kids are about to have a video game tonight. We're going to start Spider-Man 2. 
uh, Sony's Spider-Man 2, which the first Spider-Man game uh, on the PlayStation was game of the year. The best game of like 2019, 2018. Um, And this one looks just as good. So I'm very excited to start that tonight. My grandson, I got that for his birthday. You'll enjoy playing as Venom. There you go. And there is a very good plot. This is not your usual shoot 'em up video game. There is a a plot to it. I'm not going to give it away any, but uh, the first one was so good at delivering messages that were meaningful. Just meaningful messages about community, um, about love, and just a lot of things I really enjoyed. Really, the best Spider-Man story for me that I, I've I've seen or been a part of or read or anything like that. So I'm excited to start this newer journey. Nice. I'm hurt. I'm hurt that your dad didn't ask me what my video game I'm playing right now. <laughs> yeah, what is it, Ernest? NHL 24. There we go. All right, there we folks. go. And not as good as Blades of Glory, but close to it. <laughs> Something's wrong. These guys are having fun, and I'm going out shopping for a kitchen sink tonight. So, oh, hey, no. <laughs> if you like the podcast, email me at go blue Arnold. Yes, I did have that email a long time ago. Go blue Arnold at gmail.com for comments, questions. I'll even let Ohio State fan come on for five minutes. I tell you, I'll give them some <laughs> fair airtime. So, no dookies. No, well, dookies, that's a step too far. For David Arnold, for Ernest Watts, this is Paul Arnold. Have a good night. Bye.